It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you with us this morning. My name is Tim Bedall, and I've got the great privilege of serving as lead pastor here at the church. And we're in a series that we've entitled Help, God's Hope for the Hurting. And we've been looking at different ailments, different struggles, different things in our lives that we need help from our Heavenly Father to address, to alleviate, so that we might find victory in this world. I'm so very thankful uh, for uh, Jeremy Anderson and Joe Denner, who uh, led the last couple weeks in preaching from God's Word where we can find hope and and help when we're at wit's end and when we find ourselves ashamed because of sin and the consequences and the struggle that living uh, at lives of sin and in sinful uh, humanity bring about. But this morning what I want to do is I want to address the issue of anguish. Uh, that issue that is hard to put into words. We use phrases like depression, despair, despondency, melancholy, sadness, sorrow. And what I want to do is I want to look at something that affects so many people, and I want to look at an example from the Bible of what God did for one who found themselves in the midst of anguish. I want to look at how that person got there, and the medicine and the help that God gave to address the situation once and for all. And hopefully, for those in this place today who are struggling in places of sorrow and sadness, despair and depression, that you might find encouragement and hope amidst your struggle in this life. I want to do so looking at 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. 1 Kings chapter 19, if you'll turn in your Bibles there, and we'll get there in a moment, but I want to do so under the heading um, of wanting to throw in the towel. Now that phrase, throwing in the towel, is a boxing term. It's a term that's used when a boxer gives up fighting. It's at the time in a match where a boxer stops defending himself, where a boxer stops throwing punches. And what will happen is, is unbeknownst to the boxer, uh, the corner, his, his guys in the corner of his ring will see that the boxer has given up the fight. And they will take a towel and they'll throw it into the middle of the ring, signifying that the fight needs to be called off, that the fight needs to be over before that fighter gets hurt anymore. And so they'll throw in the towel. And so many of us in our lives at times want to throw in the towel. We want to do it ourselves. We want someone to do it for us. We want to tell the world. We want to tell God we're done fighting. We're done living. It would be better off if we were dead. I want you to know that there was a moment in my life that that transpired for about a year where I wanted to throw in the towel. It was at the end of 2004. I had just finished my first year as pastor here at Village Bible Church. The church was struggling at the time, dealing with a lot of past issues and struggles that were going on in the church. We had people leaving the church in droves at that point, which took a personal toll on me. Uh, we, we found ourselves dealing with a lot of counseling issues. Myself was involved in three uh, very high-level volatile marital situations that uh, needed counseling. And it, it took all of who I was to, to help those couples in their time of need. 
but it really came to a head at a funeral service. Now, I had done funerals before, but never had I done one for an infant who had just died from SIDS. And I remember feeling traumatized as I performed that funeral, looking out to a group of people who were lost and who were hopeless as a result of what was taking place. And I'm like, what can I offer them? What can I give them? And I began to feel in over my head. The devil began to beat me up saying, what in the world do you think you're doing, Badal? You know the issues you struggle with. You know the sins you're dealing with. What makes you think that you can be a pastor? And all I wanted to do in that moment was give up and give in. There were times I wasn't sleeping. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to involve myself with people. I couldn't find joy. I couldn't find peace. I wanted to give up. I wanted to quit. I wanted to throw in the towel. And maybe for you this morning, you find yourself at that exact spot. You're living in a time of anguish. You're struggling to put a smile on your face. And even in moments when you're able to put a smile on your face, you're faking it because deep down inside, you know that all you're doing is holding back the tears. You find yourself in a place where you're depressed. You're in despair. You're despondent. You're broken. And I want you to know this morning that God has a word for you. In 1 Kings 19, God gives a word to an anguished soul. Now what's surprising isn't that there are souls that are anguished. What is surprising is the soul that is anguished. You see, 1 Kings 19 is right in the middle of the story of Elijah. If you want to know, if you don't know much about the Bible, know this about Elijah. Elijah was a first ballot hall of famer in the ballot of faith. This guy did more than most in the Old Testament. This guy is known to be a part of the greats. He was one who had done things that many others have never been able to do. And in 1 Kings 19, we find this great hall of famer, we see this great man of faith, depressed, despondent, filled with anguish. Now, the question is, why? What was going on in Elijah's life? Now, I don't have time to go through all that Elijah had in his life. If you really want to know more about it, you can go to our sermon page on our website. I did a whole series on the life of Elijah in 2011 under the heading, Elijah, a man like us. And you can learn more about it. But let me give you the, the highlights to this man's life. This man was used by God as a prophet of God to speak against the moral and the spiritual decay of Israel during his generation. God was so frustrated and so angry with the nation of Israel because under the leadership of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, the nation of Israel had turned away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and turned to the God of Baal. And so they had forsaken God and his word. And we are told that under the word of God that Elijah went to King Ahab and told King Ahab as a result of their sin, Israel would experience no rain for a period of three years. And that's exactly what happened. 
So, so think about you're living in your hometown and you've just pronounced a drought of three years and you're experiencing that. Let me tell you something. Elijah may not have been the most popular kid, uh, in his town. He may not have been the most popular man at the local eatery, but that's what he had done. The second thing was that as Elijah was experiencing with his neighbors this famine, he himself found him uh, hungry. He found himself needing food, and God on a couple occasions provided for him. God gave him uh, food from ravens that came and fed him bread to keep him sustained. And then there was a widow woman who had a son, and God brought Elijah to her home. And while in the home, she too was running out of food. She had a little oil in a jug. She had a little flour in a jar. And God would use Elijah to allow it to multiply. That throughout the entirety of the famine, they never ran out. They always had more than enough food. While at the widow's house, Elijah found himself uh, living with and spending time with this widow and her son. And at some point, the son became sick and died. And Elijah had the great opportunity to pray for this widow's son. And as he did, he resurrected the boy back to life. And then in 1 Kings chapter 18, this battle between good and evil comes to a head. And there's this battle on whose God is the greatest. Is it the God of Ahab and Jezebel, the gods of Baal? Or is it the God of Elijah? And they meet at Mount Carmel. And there's this great decision that is made that whoever can bring fire down from heaven, whoever's God can produce fire, that will be the God who have named himself and declared himself the God of the universe. And so the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel spend hours. They cut themselves. They, they do all kinds of spasmodic things to try to get their God to do what they want, but nothing happens. Elijah mocks them. Elijah asks all kinds of questions on why their God wouldn't do what they were asking. And then when it was Elijah's turn, Elijah says, hey, I want you to bring all the water in the land. I want you to pour it on the, the kindling. I want you to know that when fire comes down from heaven, when I call upon my God to bring fire from heaven, that you'll have no question that a brush fire didn't start. So they douse all of the kindling with water. And then at the proper time, Elijah prays to God and asks God to bring fire from heaven, and God does it in that instance. And in that moment, God consumes 450 of the prophets of Baal. And upon that great victory, that epic victory, and those incredible steps of faith that Elijah took, 1 Kings 19 opens up. Let's read what it says. King Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. That is that you would be dead like the prophets of Baal are, he, she says, by this time tomorrow. Then verse three says, then Elijah, who had seen God work in awesome ways, stood strong, right? No. 
Then Elijah, who had experienced the goodness of God in good times and bad, remained steadfast. Is that in the text? No. Then Elijah, who had seen God bring fire down from heaven and consume the enemies of God, stood with conviction and boldness, right? That's what your text says, right? No, this man of faith, this man who had been used by God, it tells us in black and white, then Elijah was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. He didn't run for fun. He ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. He wants to be alone. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked, what did he ask of God? Did he praise God for all that he had done? No. Did he ask God to continue to fill him with his spirit so he could continue to vanquish the enemies of God? No. This great man of faith, this hall of famer, prays this simple prayer. Lord, let me die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree. Let's stop there. What would cause this great man of faith to be filled with despair, depression, despondency, sorrow, and anguish? How could a man that had experienced such great things from God find himself at such depths of an emotional abyss? I want to look at this man's life and this episode in Elijah's life, and I want to do so under two headings. First of all, I want us to remember the misery that Christians can experience That's the first thing I want to do. And then second, I want to see how we can receive the medicine that God gives to encourage us. So let's deal with the problem. Let's remember the misery that Christians can experience. Here are many, and maybe you're here this morning, and you think this way in your spiritual arithmetic. If I add Jesus to my life, me plus Jesus equals an easy life. Me plus Jesus equals a carefree life. Me plus Jesus equals a problem-free life. Me plus Jesus means no troubles in life. Well, if that's what you believe, you are believing something that is altogether foreign in the Scriptures. Because the Bible says over and over again that we, as God's children, will experience trouble. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33, in this world you will have troubles. Job said that you and I, as a part of humanity, are born to trouble as sparks fly upward. The book of James tells us that not if we uh, experience trials, we should consider them joy, but when we experience trials of many kinds, that we as believers are to consider them with all joy. So the first thing we need to know about this misery is that life at times hurts a lot. 
There are times in our lives where we are going to experience all manner of episodes in our life that will cause us great pain and great sorrow. Where every part of our body hurts. Where our spirit is broken and our hopes are dashed. Our peace is taken away from us. This, in this moment, is what Elijah is feeling. This is bad. He finds himself running for his life. Now, he has an enemy. Maybe some of your depression, some of your despondency and despair is because there's an enemy around you. You know at any given time there is someone who is seeking to harm you. Maybe it's because of the circumstances of life. Whatever it is, you and I need to recognize that as a part of humanity, there will be moments, there will be times where life will not be fun at all. It will hurt, and it will hurt every aspect of our life. And with this pain, and with this sorrow and anguish, it can come from a variety of places. Physical issues, bad medical reports, financial woes, relational struggles, all manner of things can cause depression and anguish and sorrow. And one of the hardest things with this malady is it makes us feel like it's more than we can bear. And the result of what we do is a couple things. Number one, we run for our life, whether emotionally or mentally or even physically, and we isolate ourselves. Notice he runs for his life. He leaves his servant behind because he wants to be alone. That's what depression, that's what anguish can do to us. It hurts a lot. Second, we need to recognize that in this misery that you and I are not alone. We're not alone. Elijah wanted to be alone, and a lot of us want to be alone in our depression and in our sorrow. And so he isolates himself from the world. But I want you to know that depression and despair and despondency are very common in our world today. Take a look at some of these statistics. First of all, uh, in 2018, when this study was done, more than 17 million American adults suffered a depressive episode in that year. The average age of depression is about 32 and a half years of age. 80% of those who were depressed had difficulty both at work and at home, meaning whether you had to work or whether you were enjoying time away, depression didn't respect any of those boundaries. It went wherever you went. The largest group that's affected by depression, it's unbelievable. Young people, 18 to 25, those who should have the most hope, should have the most joy, the most excitement before them are the ones that are being affected by depression the most. And 35% of adults never receive treatment, whether from a pastor, a counselor, a trusted friend, a doctor. They never get the help that they need. Now, right away you say, okay, I know that. 
But that's a sinful world around us. Many people probably are depressed because of the consequences of sinful actions. But I'm a Christian, and I shouldn't be depressed. And the joy of the Lord should be my strength. And, and I want to vomit every time I hear that word because I'm not happy, and I'm not joyful. And I don't have the peace that passes all understanding. And so something must be wrong with me. Something must be awry. There must be something I've done that has allowed me to fall into this abyss. And let me tell you something, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because as we look to the scriptures, we see godly men and women struggling, living in dark places, dealing with dark episodes. Let me help you out. Write these down. Maybe they might serve as reminders that you're not alone in this. Moses. Moses, the great leader of the nation of Israel who did great things on behalf of God for the people around him. In Numbers 11, 14, and 15, Upon dealing with a problem that was bigger than himself, he uttered these words to God, kill me at once. That's a great prayer, right? Kill me. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Naomi, in the book of Ruth, Naomi is a Moabite woman who lost her uh, husband and then over the course of days lost two of her children, her two only two boys, and she's left alone with just her and her daughters-in-law. And upon arriving back from Moab into her homeland of Judah, she comes and she says, My name is no longer Naomi, it is Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me, and the Lord has caused all of this calamity to fall upon me. Now, now experience this for a moment. You're, you're shaking hands at the end of the service and, and you come up and you're going to talk to Bob. And Bob says, no, don't call me Bob anymore. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. Well, why are you bitter, Bob? I mean, Mara. Well, the reason why is God has dealt bitterly with me and God has brought all this calamity on me. You're looking for the door, right? Well, have a good day. I don't have anything to offer you. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah, a prophet used greatly by God. He wanted to die more times than I can mention, and that's why we just call him the weeping prophet. He was filled with sorrow. How about David? That doesn't make sense. David had a, a desire to follow after God and have a heart after God's heart. But David, with all of his praise songs and choruses in Psalm 13, 12, Ask God, how long must I live with sorrow in my heart all day long? Jonah, 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 the great uh, prophet of God who had experienced three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, who then gets spat out and has to preach to the nation uh, and city of Nineveh. And he goes and he preaches to that evil and wicked people. And what does God do? God saves the whole lot of them, every one of them. And after that incredible revival that Billy Graham would have coveted, in Jonah 4.3, he prays, God, take my life. Do you see how depression has no, there's nothing to hang it on. It's just there. It doesn't make any sense. But Jonah says, I, I want to die. How about Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, when talking about life and ministry of him and his companions, he tells the church at Corinth, we despaired of life itself. We wanted it to end. It was too hard. We were ready 
to give up. And if those six examples don't do enough for you to tell you that your times of depression and sorrow uh, are, are, are real and true, not only for unbelievers, but even the best of believers, let me remind you that the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 said that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be known as a man of sorrows. Life is hard. And at times we're going to want to give up, and at times we want to give in. And the question is, what causes this? Write this down. There are certain things that activate these times or these feelings. And as we look at Elijah's life, he's a model for us to know and understand where is this coming from? Where is this discouragement starting from? I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, he goes from great victory to great despair. Right now, you're living, maybe you're living a real good life. Things are going well. And it will take one moment, one episode, one experience for those good times to go away. Years ago, I would watch uh, the wide world of sports. Those that are elderly like me remember that Saturday, you would see the wide world of sports. And, and the beginning would say, athletes going from the thrill of victory, and a guy is cheering, he's just won a race, to the agony of defeat, and you see a downhill, downhill skier tumbling down the whole way. How quickly we go from the finish line to a place of despair. What gets us there? Three things, write these down. They're not in your outline, so please take notes. This will help you. Number one, intense experiences. Intense experiences. In the chapters coming up to 1 Kings 19, we see Elijah experience all manner of intense experiences. His life hasn't been easy. It's been filled with some incredible victories and good times, but it's an intense time. And what we need to recognize is that some of our despondency and depression may be as a result of post-traumatic stress from an intense situation we've been a part of. Whether a bad relationship, a toxic relationship, whether a traumatic experience, some of us may be experiencing depression and despair because of something that happened traumatically to us as a child. And we've never been able to put it where it needs to be. We've never been able to rise above it. And so we find ourselves, because of that intense experience of the past, unable to move forward. Elijah had all manner of intense experiences. He had been riding a wave of intensity, and it should have been seen by him, and it should be seen by us. We cannot ride that wave forever. So what intense experiences might be causing your discouraging spirit today. Number two, unmet expectations. Let's pick up. Why, after so many victories, is Elijah mad and sad and depressed in chapter 19? Now, I'm speculating here for a moment, but I don't know how else you could read this. How could a guy who has just seen, just seen fire come down from heaven, 
It only could have been maybe a week's time between Mount Carmel's victory of fire coming down from heaven and destroying the prophets of Baal, because it says Ahab comes, tells the story, and Jezebel then sends a message to Elijah, in a matter of a day, you're going to be dead. We're talking days, not weeks, not months. So how could he, in 1 Kings 18, go from this place of victory to chapter 19 to go to a place of total depression? What happened between verse 46 of 18 and verse 1 of 19? And here's what I believe it is. Elijah started doing math in his own brain. And what he said is, all right, God has brought fire down from heaven. I've killed the prophets of Baal. Revival's going to break out. And revival doesn't break out. The people continue to worship the gods of Baal. And Jezebel, the ringleader, says, I'm going to kill you. She's not muted. She's not put in her place. She is empowered to go and try to kill Elijah. You see, what Elijah thought was that God was going to do things his way. I wonder if Elijah thought, God, I've held up my end of the bargain. I've done what you've asked me to do. Now you do your part. And when God doesn't do that, he becomes depressed. Some of us may be here today and you've said, listen, God, I've trusted you. I've followed you. I've gone to church. I've been small groups. I'm serving in ministry. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Why is my life so hard? Why do I deal with issues that my sinful neighbors and community around me, they don't deal with? What, what's going on there, God? Why would you allow me to face such calamity? Some of you maybe are saying, listen, I've loved my spouse. I've loved them as Christ loved the church. I've served them and honored them and, and cherished them. I've held up my end of the bargain. And now, God, they're in the arms of another. And now we're broken. And now there's divorce on the horizon. God, God, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. Maybe today you're sitting there as a parent. And you're saying, I, I, I dedicated my child in the church. I raised them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I sent them to Sunday school each week. I got them involved in youth group. I had them serving. They were a part of every VBS. And now, as they've grown older, now they want nothing to do with God. God, I held up my end of the bargain, and you have failed. And so what, what worth is there? What good is there for me to continue? I'd rather just die. I'd rather just quit. So often our discouragement is because we think God has let us down. Notice what he says to God on two occasions. In chapter uh, 19, starting in verse uh, 9, Elijah, I'm sorry, God comes and says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek to take it away. God, I'm doing your fighting. God, I'm the only one you're, I don't know what you're doing. I, only I am left. You don't care about your glory. 
Some of you look at the political landscape and where we're at in our world with all of the turmoil and all of the moral decline and you're standing up for righteousness and goodness. You're saying, God, I, only I am fighting the good fight. Where are you? Are you asleep? God, where are you? You seem far away and you're filled with depression. One final thing that brings depression, sheer exhaustion. He's exhausted. He's at a place of being tired. He had fought a great many battles Elijah had, and he was at a low spot physically. And I want you to know there are times where depression seems to uh, wreak havoc in our lives, and it's when we're tired, when we need sleep, when we need respite. And so some of the symptoms that come from this, lethargy, sleep disturbance, you feel worthless, you're irritable, you want isolation, you're hopeless, you have a change in your eating habits. These times of anguish that Elijah was experiencing and that we are, it's sometimes more than we can bear. And so what is God going to do? Notice the second thing is we need to receive medicine. God wants to give us medicine and he wants to do it so that he can encourage us. So we find in chapter 19, Elijah tired, he's weary, he's running for his life, and in the darkest moment, verse 4, under a broom tree, guess who's there with him? Not his servant, not his friends, not his enemies, but God. Listen to me, friend, no matter how despairing life may be right now, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that God is with you. He's with you. And there's a couple things that God's doing. When, when Elijah was under the broom tree, God was there. When Elijah later is at the mouth of a cave, God is there. Now what is God doing? Is he sitting there saying, tisk, tisk, tisk? How pathetic Elijah? Is he yelling at Elijah? No, notice a couple things. When God is with us, he cares for us. In verses five through eight, Elijah laid down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. God provided for him. Now, God provided in a myriad of ways. Number one, I want you to know, despairing spirit, that God gave Elijah respite for his soul. He traveled one day's journey. One day's journey is not too far for the queen's chariots to get Elijah, and they were in hot pursuit. And so God found him a place where Elijah could be protected, could get some rest, and could be cared for. It was God who gave him just enough rest. God sends an angel, and an angel taps on his shoulder and wakes him up. It is God who gives him not only the meal of the moment, but then gives him enough to be able to provide for him for 40 days and 40 nights. What that's telling you is God wants to provide for you. Now, what you don't see is that God takes away the despairing spirit of Elijah. God meets Elijah in the despairing moment and gives him just enough to endure another day. The next chapter. 
And so if you're despairing this morning, you need to be praying and asking God, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm broken. God, I'm scared. And what I'm not asking for you is to give me years of happiness in the years to come. What I need is I need enough strength and enough daily bread to get through this day. Would you meet me? Would you care for me? Would you reveal your presence to me? God says, Look, listen, Elijah, I want you to know I'm there for you. And God wants you to know, believer, that he's there for you as well. Number two, he communicates with Elijah. In verse 9, we find Elijah in a cave. And he's lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, I've been very jealous. And he goes through all this. He's going to say this twice. It's just a Johnny broken record here, right? He's mad. He's the only one serving. So God speaks to him, and God says in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah goes through his spiel again, word for word. And what I want you to see here is that When you're despairing, don't look for the big things. Listen for the small things. God wants to, in those moments of isolation, when we're all alone, God wants to speak to us. In 2004, I found myself in my basement office, face in the carpeting, crying out to God, God, will you take this away? And I remember hearing in my spirit, listen, Tim, I'm with you. I'm with you. You don't have to despair. You don't have to be filled with discouragement. I'm with you. I haven't left you. Did it take away all my problems? No. But little by little, moment by moment, word by word, I began to experience God's presence in a new and real way. In your times of despair, are you allowing God to speak to you in that still, small voice? What does God want to tell us? What does God want to communicate with us? Notice, he wants us to celebrate what he is doing. Notice, after he begins to speak, after Elijah goes through his spiel again, the Lord in verse 15 says, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Israel. And then I'm going to ask you to uh, anoint Jehu, the king of, uh, uh, anoint him uh, king of Israel. And Elisha, I want you to appoint to be a prophet. And then he says, uh, and the one who escapes the sword, verse 17, of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. What, what, what God is saying is, listen, I got things covered. I got everything figured out. You're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about today. And listen, my enemies, they're not going to get away. I've got them. I've got them right where I want them. And so what does Elijah want? Or I'm sorry, what does God want Elijah to do? 
to stop isolating himself, and he starts connecting him with other believers. He says, here are some godly individuals. At the end of the text, he tells us that there are 7,000 in Israel. Remember, twice, Elijah says, how many people are following God? What does he say? Him, one, I, only I. And uh, God says to Elijah, you're not the only one. I got believers all over Israel. I got my agents all over the place and the enemies will not escape. And so what does God call him to do? Celebrate what God is doing in your times of despair, connect with other believers, and finally continue to serve him. God says, you're a prophet. And your depression, your despair does not uh, alienate you from the mission that I've given you. So I want you to anoint this person and anoint this person and anoint this person. And then I want you to lead these 7,000 people so that we might find victory in Israel. Now, the easiest thing in this entire subject matter of anguish is to preach on it. It's hard to live it. And so what we need to do is hear stories of how people in their anguish found peace and joy. A hymn writer put it this way, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, Lest this blessed assurance control that Christ has he regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Therefore, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what demons and struggles you may have at doors, at your door of your life. But what I do know is that the God of the universe is there with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he will give you the help that you so badly and I so badly need in our times of anguish. So listen to him. And listen to that still small voice. And allow God to speak words of truth and words of love and words of peace. So no matter what comes your way, that it will be well with our souls.